Good morning. If you would, grab a Bible. Let's turn together to the book of Leviticus, chapter 19. Leviticus 19 is where we'll be starting in uh, this part of our worship. Leviticus 19. So good to see you this morning. We have a great crowd this morning, and uh, it kind of feels a little bit like old times, doesn't it? Able to actually have a Bible class and then uh, able to see a whole lot more of our brethren, even if there's a part of our face that we can't see. Uh, but uh, it's sure good to see you, and uh, it's just been an encouragement to me. hope it has been to you to be able to sing these songs of praise and uh, to think about the things that God has done for us and just to be with one another again. I think it was Philip who said uh, in his prayer, uh, there are some things that we've taken for granted. And uh, I wonder, uh, you know, I, I was thinking about it, uh, that I've really been taken to church and then chosen to go on to church for most of my life, and and I've never really had the experience of not being able to, when I wanted to, uh, see the people that I wanted to see, my fellow Christians. And so to, to have those things uh, sort of interrupted and now to have them back, it sure uh, helps us to be more grateful and uh, hopefully uh, will motivate us to be here and to be present in body and in spirit uh, as much as we can. Leviticus 19 and verse 17 is where I want to begin. Leviticus 19, 17, it says, You shall not hate your brother in your heart. But you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. I am a person who does not like confrontation. I am the youngest of three brothers, and I grew up in a home in which there were a lot of strong personalities, and I learned at a very young age, it's just best if you let everybody else have their way. And if you fight all the time, well, and you're the youngest and the smallest, you're probably going to lose the majority of those fights. So, you know, let's just go ahead and go with the flow. And I'm sure there are very few people who really do like confrontation. I think that, you know, there are some people who like arguing, but people who just like genuine hostility all the time, they're, they're pretty rare, and I think we're kind of glad about that. But I found something that as I have grown up and now I have a family of my own, I find that avoiding confrontation is not really a healthy way to live life. When I refuse to deal with problems in my life, what ends up happening is people take advantage of me and people take my money and people harm me and my family and they say things and do things that are hurtful to us and I have problems with my kids and with my wife and with my extended family, with my brethren that don't get addressed And I've come to realize that there is a powerful biblical principle that I believe is best expressed in what we just read in these verses that talk about how we need to deal with our problems. And so I want to think about that with you for a few minutes this morning. We've been studying this year the idea of house rules. That is that there are some principles we need that are best learned at home but that extend to all areas of Christian life. And so we've talked about a number of these things that can begin at home and then spread out into the church and into the community and our broader society. And so we talked about how home is a safe place. We talked about respecting each other. We talked about telling the truth, speaking with love, no gossip allowed. And then last month we talked about we take responsibility. Now, we're over halfway through the year. Can you believe that? So we are on the seventh month in July, and we're going to talk and add to that the idea that we deal with our problems. This is a principle that the Bible teaches Christians deal with their problems. And when I talk about problems this morning, I mean specifically problems we have with other people. That is, interpersonal problems, relationship problems. 
And I want you to notice again what we read here. Leviticus 19 and verse 17. Look at it with me again. It says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. So as God gives wrong, and this passage is in the context, I mean, as God gives law, this passage is in the context of wrongs and, and the courts of law. He says, don't just hate your brother, but he says instead, reason frankly, or yours might say, rebuke him, reprove him. Some say, uh, don't uh, rebuke your neighbor frankly. This is the message. I, I think this is actually a pretty good rendering. The message says, don't secretly hate your neighbor. If you have something against him, get it out in the open. Otherwise, you are an accomplice in his guilt. So God is saying here, don't let hate fester. Don't hate your brother in your heart. Instead, get it out in the open. Throw it out there. Deal with the problem. Do what needs to be done. Say what needs to be said. Get the cards on the table. Deal with your problems. And I am suggesting this morning that that principle, that idea, will be of great value if we can instill it in our homes and learn it and practice it at home first. So I want to just ask a couple of questions. We're going to spend our time this morning asking, why do we deal with our problems? And then how do we deal with our problems? So let's start with why. First of all, the goal and the motivation in dealing with our problems and not just holding them in is that we need to maintain healthy relationships. You can see a hint of that in the text here. He says in verse 17, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. So he has done something that would cause us to hate him. And when that happens, we very often focus on what he has done and his problem. But that's not what this text is focused on, is it? He says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with him, lest you bear his sin or incur sin because of him. So what he is saying is, what we can easily do is let other people's wrongs become our wrongs. Now, we hate and we blame them. We are in sin, and we think it's their fault. And he says that's not a healthy way to live. It's not healthy for us, and it's not healthy for them. Something is broken here. I don't want their sin to become my sin. Paul has the same idea in mind. This is Ephesians 4. We're very familiar with this text. In Ephesians 4, and verse 26, he says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. So be angry and do not sin governs what we're going to do with the anger. So we're all going to get angry with people from time to time. He says, what do you do then? Do you act in a way that is sinful because you're angry? And very often when we are angry, we blame the person who made us angry and everything we do we say is their fault. But Paul says, be angry and you don't sin. And then he says, don't let the sun go down on your anger, which is a... a metaphorical way of expressing whatever needs to be done to make you not angry again, do it and do it quickly without sinning. So what he is saying then is the same as in Leviticus. Don't hold something in that's going to build into hatred. Instead, he says, you deal with the problem and deal with it now. And then he says, give no opportunity to the devil, which implies that if we do hold that in, Satan has a foothold in our lives because of what someone else has done. So why do we do it? We do it to maintain healthy relationships because that anger is spiritually dangerous for us and it also compromises the interactions we have with our brother. 
Let's go over to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5. Jesus addresses this in the Sermon on the Mount. This is the passage that Brother Johnny read for us last week. And what Jesus is saying here is, we can fulfill God's will about murder and about anger by learning to resolve our problems quickly. Matthew 5 and verse 23. Jesus says, So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser, while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So Jesus says, make sure your relationships are healthy. How does he say that? Well, he says that by saying, if you're going to worship and you've got your animal that you're going to sacrifice and you remember at that moment, oh yeah, I'm not on good terms with my brother. There is something broken in our relationship. He says, you abandon that. You leave your gift, your animal. Tie him up and go. Don't come worship me when you refuse to deal with your problems. Now that is powerful because of course we should worship God. Of course worship is a priority. But he says, it is not an excuse to not deal with your problems. And so if we are to put building those bridges back As a priority over worship, what would it not be a priority over? Everything should be set aside until we figure out how to be reconciled to our brother. So he says, go talk to him, go see him and be reconciled. Work it out, talk it through, deal with your problems, especially do it with urgency, do it now. He says in verse 25, come to terms quickly with your accuser. Do it as quickly as possible. Go say something. Go work it out and do it now because things are going to get worse. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Do it now. Do it quickly. Deal with your problems. I think we all know of situations and have lived through situations where something that could have been dealt with in the moment, if we let it go and then it it builds and it gets worse and we keep thinking about it or maybe we say something and we know we should... We should take it back right then, but we don't. And so then the next time we see that person, they're upset. And then we say, well, you know what? It wasn't that big a deal. I don't want to talk about it. And then we're months later, and all of a sudden, what was a small thing has become a big thing because we refuse to deal with it. And we refuse to deal with it quickly. There is a great power in just being able to say, hey, let's talk about this right now and just get it over with. Deal with our problems and deal with them quickly. And yes, we need to learn about the need for healthy relationships at home. Because I believe at home we have great practice in how sometimes we're going to have problems with other people, even people we love deeply. At home, we learn that we make each other angry. At home, we learn how to act out of that anger without sinning and how to resolve it. We learn that relationships are not always easy and clean. We learn that at home. And we learn that they're going to take work and we're going to have to apologize and we're going to have to accept apologies and move on. We deal with the consequences of our words and we know that when we say something or do something, it hurts people. 
we have to correct and we have to encourage, we have to lead and we have to follow. We learn all of that at home. So parents, how are we teaching our children to deal with their problems with others? Do they see us argue and stay angry, bad-mouthing the people who have done wrong to us, long-term grudges and resentment and hatred? Do we go to them when we know our kids are upset at us and say, hey, let's work this out. I know you've got a problem. I want to talk to you about it. Or do we just let things slide? Our kids, are our kids learning from us strategies of conflict avoidance? How to not be a confrontational person by never confronting anything. So we deal with our problems to maintain healthy relationships, and that's something we can show and model for our children and also teach our children to have. The second reason why we deal with our problems is to stop sin before it spreads. Let's go back to our, our text in Leviticus 19. Sorry, I forgot to tell you to stay there. But I know everybody here has already got grooves in their Bible in Leviticus 19, right? Because we're reading there so often. Uh, Leviticus 19 and verse 17. Back in the text that we started with, it says, You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. It's an interesting phrase at the end there. My version says, lest you incur sin because of him. Some versions say not bear sin because of him or not share in their guilt. And the, the difficulty here is it's not clear what exactly he's saying. Is he saying that when I don't talk to my brother about our problems, that that is the sin, or that I'm somehow guilty by not confronting him? Or is he saying just by my hatred, I am guilty? But either way, the focus is on how somebody else's sin can affect more than the person who has sinned. He doesn't want me to start to hate just because somebody else has done wrong to me because I refuse to speak the truth about his sin. So what we're seeing here is when sin is involved, there is an urgency. Don't hate him. Reason frankly. Rebuke him. Do something. Say something. And stop sin before it spreads to other people. And this is a principle that is throughout Scripture. That sin is not static. It doesn't just stay what it is. Instead, it grows. And that if we don't deal with sin in our lives, in our relationships, or in other people's lives as we see it, it's not just going to go away. So we deal with problems to stop sin before it spreads. Let's go to Luke 17. Luke 17. Jesus takes this on. And again, Jesus is speaking in a context where there are Christians who have relationships in which sometimes there will be sin. And he talks, about it, talks to us about how to deal with those problems. I'm in Luke 17. Begin in verse 1 with me. Luke 17, verse 1. And he said to his disciples, Luke 17, 1, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. So I want you to notice what he says in verse 3. If your brother sins, 
rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Deal with your problems. If you see your brother in sin, and I think specifically here we're talking about sin against us, like in Matthew 18, that he has done something to us that's not just about hurting my feelings. Instead, he's done something to me that is sin. I rebuke him. And the reason is, the reason I rebuke him is not because I didn't like something he said or did. It didn't offend me in some way. The, the reason I rebuke him is because he has sinned. And so he needs to change because he is not right with God because of what he has done. So rebuke him, he says. Say something. Now, I am amazed because I have heard brethren take this passage and use it as a reason, a pretext to not forgive someone. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about any scenario in which we don't forgive. He is talking about a scenario in which there is a problem and we say something and then we forgive. He is saying we deal with our problems. Our relationships are going to look like that. That's what he's saying. They're going to look like times where we see something is wrong and we say something about it and then we have to help clean up what's been broken. And he says, you'd be willing to do that even if it's seven times in a day. You'd be willing to always forgive. We don't want our brother to be lost, so we deal with our problems. Do you see that motivation? If I don't say anything, it's not just me that's hurt, it's also my brother. I can't just let him walk away, go into sin, and me say nothing. I need to deal with that. That is a problem. It involves me in some way. And when it involves sin, I need to stop that sin before it spreads. I'm going to show you a few places here. We're just going to go through. I'll go on this side since sometimes people don't like that I only go on this side. Uh, on this side, I'll look at this board. Uh, I just want to show you a few places where this principle is, just so you'll see the biblical reasoning here. This is Hebrews 3 and verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So there is a problem where he says there's a concern about some falling away, an evil, unbelieving heart. And so how we uh, deal with that is by exhorting, and then we want to beware of the idea of being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Later in Hebrews, Hebrews 12, 15, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That root of bitterness is an Old Testament phrase that talks about sin creeping up in the community and someone then poisoning others, a root of bitterness that then spreads. Watch out, he says, for that. Do something about it. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. James 5, 19 and 20. So here is someone who wanders away. What do we do? We bring him back. And in doing so, we save a sinner from, save his soul from death and we cover a multitude of sins. Paul says to the Corinthian church, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? In the context of a man in their church living in sin who is refusing to repent. A little leaven will spread. We deal with our problems because we want to stop sin before it spreads. We will not turn a blind eye to sin. Now, let me be clear. That does not mean that we go around hammering people every time they make a mistake. That they need to know just how unhappy that makes us and God. 
It doesn't mean that people who are really struggling to do the right thing and sometimes failing need to be beaten up. It does not mean that we get to act as if we are perfect. It does not mean that we never need to let anything go. It means that we recognize that sin is dangerous and we're going to do something to deal with it. We're going to deal with a problem and we're not just going to look the other way. Parents, this applies in our homes. It starts in our interactions with our children. When we see our children heading in a certain direction, you know, it may not be that they've gotten to the end of the road that they're beginning to walk down. But do we see where they're headed and do what we can to turn them back? I am thinking of areas like disrespect, dishonesty, unkindness, rebellion. That when we begin to see the small seeds of that, do we just say, oh, it's not a big deal yet? Or do we deal with where that's headed so that we can say, I'm going to try to prevent this problem instead of waiting until they get into full rebellion and then see what I can do. Waiting until they lie about something really important and then see what I can do. Waiting until they're truly unkind to someone and then we'll, we'll deal with it then. And we teach our children and we practice ourselves how we deal with our problems at home. Do we teach our children that we can get as close to the line of sin as possible without going over? You know, I, I'm going to do whatever I want to do unless God has strictly forbidden it. And then, okay, I'll respect that. Are we teaching our children that kind of attitude about sin? And if so... How is that going to affect the relationships that they have with people who will encourage them to get as close to the line as possible? We show at home how we deal with our problems. So the next question I want to ask is just how. How do we deal with our problems? And I want to give you a couple of things that are going to be important as we learn a new skill in being able not to hold things in, but to speak things and do what needs to be done to deal with problems. The first is we need discernment. We've talked a lot about discernment in our Wednesday night studies. We've been studying through how Paul says every situation is not the same. You can't cookie cutter people. It's not one size fits all. You have to use discernment to figure out what is the best approach. Where is someone? How do I deal with this? Scripture teaches us to be aware of the differences in situations. And not every problem is a crisis. We need that discernment. So here is a passage from Proverbs Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Doesn't that sound different from what we've been studying? The, the passages we've been studying say, oh no, it's a problem, you need to deal with it. Get it out there, go talk to them. But here the, the writer of Proverbs says, no, you, you can overlook an offense, and that's good. It's good to overlook things. Some offenses can just be overlooked. They're not worth making a fuss over, they're not a big deal. They're not sin problems. But I want to be very clear. We don't overlook things because we're scared or unwilling to say something about them. It's not about us. It's about a problem that legitimately is not worthy of that kind of action. The situation just doesn't demand it. And, and there is virtue in not making every little thing into a huge problem. Not making mountains out of every molehill. We're not going to compromise our relationships over silly things. And I think we know that, right? 
I think we would all say when people are constantly having a problem with everything we say and do, we would say, okay, that's not the best character trait, not my favorite. And I think we all understand the impulse to say, okay, maybe I need to overlook something and let some things go. What that is called, biblically speaking, is discernment. There is also a difference between when you hurt my feelings or say something I don't like, like you talk bad about the Aggies, I don't like that. But there's a difference in that and you sinning. You doing something, you saying something that is a sin against me. And we need to be able to discern between when somebody might be impolite or somebody might say thing that's a little ugly and someone who is actually slandering me or doing something that would be considered biblically evil. What I'm saying is there are some things we just need to learn to let go. There are also people who are going to do wrong to us because they are our enemies. And the Bible talks about this, that there are people who will slander us and persecute us and who will speak evil against us. They are people who we're probably not going to be able to have a healthy relationship with. We're probably not ever going to reach a point where we're all good and comfortable. So this is not about, well, I just have to be at peace with every person in the world. As we read in our reading uh, that Brother Johnny read this morning, it's not always possible to be at peace with all people. So what do we do? We use discernment. We don't give what's holy to the dogs. We pray for those who persecute us and spitefully use us. And there may be little we can do in those situations beyond acknowledging it. But here is what I am saying. All of this is about the discernment to say, am I willing to deal with problems and how do I do it? Parents, we need to be teaching these things to our children. Now that starts really young, where we begin to say, you know what, just because this happened to you, we don't scream about everything. Okay? We don't scream just because we don't like foods. Or we don't scream just because somebody took our toy. We don't hit somebody just because this happened. And, and we begin to say, what is a proportionate response to a problem? There's discernment there. And then we begin to say, how do we resolve conflict? Who do we go to? What do we say? What do we do? Do we stay mad? Do we just say, I don't want to hang out with that person anymore? Or do we try to work through our issues? And we can involve our kids in that process of how to make decisions about what we do next. What do you think should happen here? Here is my judgment about this situation. Who should we go talk to? Do you need my help? Do you need me to step in? And then there are some things that we need to teach our kids to just be able to let go. That is not a big deal. And they will learn from us the difference, the discernment that they need. But I have to say this, parents they're probably going to learn that better when they see how we treat other people. When they see that sometimes we get mad and stay mad or that sometimes we just refuse to talk about it with someone and yet they can tell that we've become bitter about that person, they're going to learn from us what it means to discern and tell the difference about what reactions are appropriate. How do we deal with our problems? We deal with them with courage and humility. I've been thinking about uh, this week. Well, why is this so hard for us? Have you ever thought about that? Why, why do we struggle so much with actually dealing with problems? Why is it that people everywhere 
end up with hurt feelings and grudges and long-term resentment, or they become hotheads who blow up all the time. Why is it that we have a hard time finding the uh, medium there? It seems to me that most of the time, the reason we have a hard time dealing with our problems is because we're scared. There is fear here. And the fear is, if we actually deal with our problems, we might lose the relationship. We might have this awful experience, a negative encounter, a confrontation. We don't know what they'll say or what they'll do, but we, especially when we're angry, we can't see any way it goes well. And so we just say, you know what, I don't want to deal with it. And the truth is, every time we have a problem, we jeopardize that relationship. We're at a crossroads in that relationship. Are we going to go deeper where we can forgive and move forward? Or is this just going to be the end because we have a problem? Do you remember Eli? We studied about Eli in our, our daily devotional this week. Eli had two sons who were priests. He was the priest of Israel. And their sons were wicked, and they were compromising and threatening the worshipers and compromising the worship of Jehovah. And Eli went to his sons and tried to rebuke them. And he says, hey, guys, what you're doing isn't good. You need to quit it. God's going to get you. And yet he lets them keep serving. In fact, they completely disregard his rebuke. And so God says to him, this is 1 Samuel 3.13, I declare to him, Eli, that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Eli fails because he does not deal with his problems with his kids. Now that would have been a hard conversation, yes, but it would have been even harder to say, guys, you're out, no more priests can't have you doing this. I mean, can you imagine what it would be like at Thanksgiving dinner after you fire your sons from being priests because they're so corrupt? I mean, that would be awful, right? You did not restrain them. In fact, God says, why did you honor your sons above me? That's a hard conversation, but Eli refuses to have it. He doesn't deal with the problem, and so he is punished, and his sons are too. David is the same way with his kids. He is indulgent with Absalom. And about Adonijah, the author says this in 1 Kings 1.6, his father, David, had never at any time displeased him by asking, why have you done thus and so? That's a fascinating little phrase, isn't it? His dad had never upset him in any way by asking, hey, why are you doing that, son? Why are you trying to take the kingdom and taking all the horses and stuff? His father never did it. He didn't want to displease him. That's why we don't do this. We don't want to make everybody angry. We don't want to have those conversations. It's hard. It takes some guts. So when I say we do this with courage, where do we get the courage for this? The courage to deal with our problems comes from the fact that we remember that some things are more important than people being happy with us. For Eli, the worship of God was more important than whether his sons liked him or not, whether they had peaceful dinners or not. It's the worship of God. It's the important thing. For David, the long-term health of his kids is more important than whether they're displeased with him in the moment. And yet when they fail to see what really matters and they fail to have the courage to deal with their problems then the problems get worse. 
Now, I have found this. Dealing with a problem is a far better approach than ignoring it. I mean, if we deal with it, we can make progress. We can quit stewing on it. We can quit holding it against the person. We can move forward. If they don't want to listen to me, at least I can say, I've tried to say or do something. And so even though I am not by nature a confrontational person, I have learned from experience that it is just better to put your cards on the table. Just do it. Following scripture has blessed me. And I have better relationships as a result of that. And it gives me courage to say something. But I also put here humility. These kinds of conversations go much better when we take them the way Scripture tells us to take them. Galatians 6.1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Gentleness is the idea of meekness, humility. And then he also says at that last sentence, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. That's humility. That just because I'm in the situation confronting you right now, uh, the time's going to come where you're going to need to confront me where I'm going to be wrong. And so I'm going to watch out for myself too because I'm not somehow better than you. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. We don't fight because we like fighting. We're not quarreling because we're quarrelsome. Instead, we have gentleness, we are patient, we are humble. The time will come when we'll be on the other side of the conversation. And you know what? It may be. Don't get mad at me. It may be that we're entirely wrong. And that we have a problem that is our fault. And I believe that's the reason why. James says this. This is James 3.17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This word gentle is our word meek or humble. The word open to reason is very interesting to me. Reasonable, considerate, willing to yield, some versions have. You see, when we deal with our problems, we should not be intractable. Now, it's my way of the highway. I'm right about this and you're wrong. Instead, like we read back in Leviticus, reason frankly with your neighbor. Talk to him. Think through it and be willing to accept the fact that you may be wrong. We should have a fair conversation. And so we approach others with courage and with humility. So what does that look like at home? It looks like this. It looks like not every correction and not every conflict has to be full of yelling and anger. But we are going to address the serious problems. It means that Christian homes will never be sweep it under the rug homes, look the other way homes, living in denial homes. That will not be a Christian home. Instead, if there is a problem in our marriage, we will address it and we will work on it. We will stay connected to our spouses. We will make them happy. That's the goal. If there is a problem with our children, we will address it. We will correct it. We will work through it humbly and reasonably, but dealing with the problem. And it may be that there are things that we think are problems that turns out are not, and we're willing to let those things go. But it certainly will not be 
because of any failure in courage to actually address it. You know, there are some churches where they don't deal with their problems. And so grudges lay dormant for years, slowly draining the energy from a group. Hard words that have been said are never resolved, and they continue to be in the back of everybody's mind. And as the years pass, and those, you know, those things get further and further in the past, it seems petty to bring it up, but it's still there. And it's a funny thing when you engage with a congregation like that. That new people come in, but they notice too, something's up with those people. I can't put my finger on it. I don't know what it is. And it's only a matter of time before those new people get cross with the older people and then the pattern repeats. God calls us to be a different kind of people. A kind of people who deal with their problems with others. Don't hate your brother in your heart, but reason frankly with them. Let's live that out. Question for you. Are there people that you need to have a conversation with? Things that you need to address, problems that you know are there. Maybe they're your fault, maybe they're someone else's fault, but you know there's something there. Don't be the person that we've been reading about who refuses to deal with their problems. Is there communication that needs to be improved? Is there something that you need to apologize for? Something that needs to be said or done? Do it. Let's deal with our problems. I, I don't like conflict, and I imagine you don't either. I don't like confrontation. I imagine you don't either. But it is a blessing when it brings us closer together so that we win our brother back and we are reconciled to each other. It is a blessing, it is the will of God, and it is healthy. What, what more do we need than to trust God about this? So I encourage you to think about your life and your heart and if there's something that needs to change. This is the time in our service where we offer the invitation, where we're asking you, is there some need that you have that you want to be made right with God, whatever form that takes? Now, it may be that you're not a Christian, and so you're ready for the first time to name the name of Jesus and put your faith in him, be baptized into Christ. We would love nothing more than to help you do that this morning. Please let us know. Or if there's something you need us to pray with you for, some spiritual need that we can help you with, please come to the front right now as we stand and sing.